me at this time. Father, we thank you for this moment. We thank you for this room to gather in, to, to pray to you and to meet with you, God. God, I pray for the people in this room right now, God, that you would just blow them away as we open your Bible today. I pray that you would seem so amazing so that obedience to you and following you would just seem like the most natural and wonderful thing in our life, God. Or take away the pleasure of, of sin and the, the deception that somehow following our own path in this life and living for ourselves, that somehow that's going to make us happy, God. Do away with that illusion and bring color to our dark world that is your son, Jesus Christ, when we look at him and he says, follow me, and then teaches us how to live all the days of our lives. God, we give everything to you. We are here for you. We're here to lift up the name of Jesus Christ as our wonderful Lord and Savior, who is God, come to earth to love us, to die for us, and to show us how to do this thing called life. I pray every person this morning would be open to what you have for them, that any cynicism, any hurt, any brokenness, any questioning God would be laid aside so that we could consider the wonderful claims of your holy word. God, change us in this place. We pray all these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. I'm going to invite you to remain standing with me at this time and to open to Genesis chapter 1. Uh, Genesis chapter 1, we're going to read through the entire um, first chapter of Genesis 1. And uh, I'll be honest, it's an ambitious task to read through this. But as we talk about the creation story, uh, I wanted to do it uh, and let the Bible tell the story. And so what I did was I brought um, a song or a a track I could read this over that would make this come to life. And so uh, if you turn to Genesis chapter 1, if you do not have a... A Bible, it'll be up on the screen for you. We're going to read the entire chapter, so stay with us. It's a wonderful image. Genesis 1 says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and the darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit, which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding their seeds, uh, each according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit, which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening and there was morning the third day. 
And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures, and let the birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things, and beasts of the earth according to its kind. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And then God said... Let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed and its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made. And behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. May God bless this word in your life. You may be seated at this time. As we began this new journey, I wanted to let the Bible this morning speak for itself. Um, When you read these stories, wonderful things happen in your life. Uh, You've probably heard the quote of a famous preacher named Charles Spurgeon was once asked, you know, shouldn't you defend the Bible in your age of skepticism? This is back in the late 1800s. I said, shouldn't you defend the Bible from all of the claims coming against it and all the people that are speaking out against it? And he said, defend the Bible. I would just as quick defend a lion. He said, there's no need to defend a lion. You just open the cage and let it defend itself. And I believe that that is the truth of the scriptures. When we let the Bible speak for itself, it is powerful and it is transformational and it does wonderful things in our lives. And if you are new or visiting today, you have come on the, the best Sunday possible. I want to welcome you very warmly 
Um, we're White Oak. I'm the lead pastor here at the church, and we, we teach through the Bible, and we, we sing songs to Jesus. We, we gather weekly in this community to love one another, to love God, to try to grow as humans in the image of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And we're glad that you're here with us. Uh, following the service, we have our vision lunch where we provide a free meal for everyone that's come. We'll probably have to add a few more tables, it looks like. And uh, we've provided food for everybody, and we're just going to share with you kind of our heart for this coming year and all the things God's doing in our church and what we want to become. But in accordance with that, today we also begin a brand new series for the next five months. And we're calling it Reclaim the Wonder. And what we're going to do in this five-month journey is we're going to go from the beginning of the Bible to the very end of the Bible. Because we've learned something as we've preached through books of the Bible and preached verse by verse expositionally, is that as we preach through the Bible, a lot of people say, this is great, I like what the Bible says, but I don't know a lot of the main points of the Bible. And so if you're trying to read a book like, say, Romans, and you don't understand the the law, a verse by verse teaching of it kind of can be confusing to you. And so what we want to provide for you is a series from Genesis, which we're starting today, all the way to Revelation, which we'll finish on May 31st, I think, at the very end of the spring. And the cool thing about it is that we're beginning this journey today. We're going to go from highlight to highlight throughout the Bible. And on Easter Sunday, we will climax at the resurrection, which is, I think, the last uh, Sunday in Um, in March. And so all of this is going to make sense, and all of it's going to play together. And essentially today is a massive build unto Easter Sunday. But today we begin with Genesis. Genesis is the first book of the Bible, and and the Bible is, is a wonderful book. And as Christians, we believe that the Bible is God's perfect and direct word to humanity. That's what we believe. It's God's perfect and direct word to us. When, when you open this book, when you open the Bible and you read the words that it says, we believe that God speaks. When the Bible speaks, we believe that God speaks. And so this is God's holy word from him to us. And what we mean by that is that it basically means everything that God wants it to mean to us. It instructs us on, on how things came to be and instructs us on how to live our lives. And while some people refer to this as a book, I think oftentimes it's better to view this more as like a, a library of books, right? Because the Bible is made up of 66 books written by over 40 different authors, right? That's what makes the Bible unique as compared to other religious texts. Most religious texts that are in the world today are written by usually one person in in one lifespan, whereas the Bible is written by 40 different authors over a span of 1,600 years on three different continents through many different eras of history. It's a a library of God's word to us. It is the best-selling book of all time. It is the most printed book of all time. It is the most translated book of all time, and I don't know how to verify this, but it's probably the most read book in the history of all humanity. And we believe that is because it explains who God is, it explains who we are, it explains how the world came to be, it explains what is wrong with the world, it explains that Jesus Christ is the wonderful Savior of the world, and it is an invitation to humanity to follow this wonderful Savior and reclaim the wonder of life for all eternity. As we open this today and begin this journey, I want you to kind of tremble as we approach it because there is so much here. And we can't cover every story in it, but we're going to try to cover the main stories in it. 
which begins today with Genesis 1 and 2, the creation of the world. And as we begin this, I just want to start off by saying I'm sorry. I want to start off by apologizing because there is no way that I could possibly explain how amazing Genesis 1 is. There's no way that myself, who is a creation of what has been created, can fully grasp and convey to you how wonderful of an image this is when God creates the world, right? I I don't have the tools. I don't have the, I can't speak well enough. I mean, this is far beyond us. And so however good I'm able to convey this is to you, just know that it's like a million times better But in Genesis 1 and 2, I think the main idea that that I really want you to get this morning as we begin this journey, and as we not only learn about the Bible, but we marvel at the Bible for the betterment of our lives and for the glory of God, what we see is that in the beginning, God creates a universe and a people that he enjoys and cares for. In the beginning... God creates a universe and a people that he enjoys and cares for. I think there's four things you need to see in Genesis 1 and 2. Number one, that God creates the universe, and then God creates humanity in his image, and then God enjoys his creation, and then God cares for his creation. But we begin with number one, God creates the universe. Genesis 1-1, it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In Hebrews eleven three, it says, uh, By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. What, what the author of Hebrews is saying is that we believe that the earth was not created out of material things, but that God literally spoke it into motion, and then the material things came. In the beginning, God created the heavens, and and the Hebrew word for that in in this context essentially means the skies and the universe, okay? What the author is saying is in the beginning, God created the earth and the skies and the stars and the universe, and everything that is was created originally by God. Christians believe that the universe was created by a personal, loving, holy, and good God. The Bible teaches that you are a part of this beautiful creation that was intentionally designed. Everything that is here was created by him, and he loves it, and he enjoys it. And people often ask, and of course I had to address this, well, what about Christianity and, and modern science? Like, what about at the moments when it feels like to some degree those two things aren't matching up? And I don't have time to go into um, every different nuance of that. I could literally probably do a lecture for three hours. I mean, and we could do Q&A, and it would be wonderful. Um, There's a million different things, but there's a lot of good resources online for you to look into those kinds of things. But here's what I'll say. I don't think that either Christianity or, or science are as firm and sure historically as we often think that they are. And what I mean by that is some people say the Bible, based upon the genealogy, shows that humanity is 6,000 years old. And and other people say when you fill in the fullness of it, it's more like 50,000 years old. And then science has all different kinds of numbers all over the place as well. And people say, well, what about the Big Bang? When in reality, the Big Bang kind of this past century gave some credence to creationism because hundreds of years ago when the Enlightenment happened, people began trying to go against the Bible by saying, no, the Bible's wrong because the universe isn't eternal. Modern science said the universe had always been, which meant that God did, wasn't really necessary. 
But then the Big Bang Theory emerged, and all of a sudden people started saying scientifically, no, the universe actually had a starting point, right? It, it, it was begun, and Christians were like, yeah, that's what we've kind of been saying, right? And so basically all that to say is that things are, are shifting, but, but here is what is at odds with the creation story in the Bible. It's not science. It's not necessarily even the, the Big Bang or certain forms of evolution. It's this thing called philosophical naturalism. And before I lose you, just listen to this. It's going to be real quick. What philosophical naturalism says is that there is nothing beyond the natural and that everything that is here, that basically there's no supernatural stuff in the universe. And we as Christians believe in the natural. We believe in nature and in science, but we also believe in the supernatural. And there's also a phenomenon going on in my generation where people are beginning to awaken to these realities, whereas they're saying younger people are even more spiritual and open to those things than, than even previous generations we, because we've, we've seen a lot of the natural and we've been left wanting in this world. And so we believe in science, we believe in nature, but we also believe that God creates everything. That however old the universe is, however mature of a state it was begun in, God created it. And that's the essence of Genesis, that in the beginning, a loving, perfect, holy, wonderful God created the world that you live in. And I think the question we, we don't ask enough about all this stuff, even when we're studying science, is yeah, we're looking for facts, but what about which understanding of humanity is more wonderful? Have you ever thought about that? Which understanding is more wonderful? One set of beliefs would lead us to believe that as humans, we're, we're nothing more than lucky, purposeless animals in this world. But then the Bible comes along, and it looks at you and me, and says that we are here for a reason, with a purpose, that the God of the universe, who is all-powerful, loves you and loves me, that we were begun to be a part of a wonderful work of God, to bring him glory and to enjoy him, for him to love us, for, for him to be our God and for us to be his people. Part of, well, I think, what helps us discern truth is by going deep down in our souls and saying, which one stirs my affections? Which understanding of reality in life makes me want to live life, makes me want to embrace it? And I believe that Genesis 1 presents a worldview and a story and a reality that every human longs to be a part of, and I believe it's because we were created for this. So in the beginning, God is the one who creates the universe, Genesis one says. But then it gets even crazier. Number two, God creates humanity in his image. And once again, man, you could, you could park it right here, and you could study this for years, and yet we're trying to get to the entire Bible in five months, and so we're going to have to just kind of briefly go over this. But Genesis 1 verse 26, I want you to read this as if you've never read it before. I want you to think about what this means for your life. Genesis 1, 26 through 27. And then God said, let us make man in our image. Okay, here's the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit from the very beginning. Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Think about that. After the likeness of God, let us make man after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. From the very beginning, our people, our race, 
We were created together to be eternal sons and daughters of a good and loving Father God from the very beginning. Uh, there's a, a famous um, story of a philosopher named Immanuel Kant. And Immanuel Kant was a, was a German philosopher in the 1700s. And one of his favorite things to do, which I really relate with this, is he loved going on long summer walks and just thinking about life. And so he'd, he'd get, when the, the sun was kind of beginning to go down, it was really nice outside, he would go walking around, and he would contemplate his life from the perspective of looking at the beautiful creation that was around him. And one day, he, uh, it said that he went to this park, and he was, he was sitting there on this park bench, and he was thinking about, in the midst of this beautiful park on a beautiful summer day, he was thinking about who he is and contemplating that, right? In the midst of this beautiful place that was all around him, and a police officer was kind of suspicious of him. And so the police officer came up to Immanuel Kant, a well-known German philosopher, and said, um, you know, what, what are you doing? Because he had been sitting there, the, the, the record has it, for three, for three months, I mean, sorry, three hours he had been sitting there. For three, that would have been crazy, right? He was like dying, right? So for three hours he's like sitting there. And he asked him, he's like, he, he's like what are you doing? And Immanuel Kant's like, I'm, I'm just thinking. And the police officer said, still suspicious, he said, well, who are you? And Immanuel Kant said, I don't know. That's actually the problem I've been thinking about for the past three hours is in the midst of all of this, like what does all of this creation say about me? And what he was saying is that we often try to contemplate who we are as humans from the inside out, meaning we think of, we start with ourselves, right? And the things that we want, the things that we feel, and we try to, to go from the inside out to think about who we are. And Kant had this really good perspective of looking outside of himself, of looking out into the world and contemplating the reality of God and thinking about that and boiling it down to himself, and the Bible provides us kind of a similar understanding of humanity where he begins with God. Genesis begins with God and God creating the world. And then humanity, you and me, we are introduced into this beautiful story, into this wonderful, amazing reality as people who were created in the image of God. And so what this says to us is we not only know where the universe came from, as in our first point that God created the universe, but we know that where we come from, that we were created by God in his image. And I think we often overlook this when we begin looking around the world trying to find the pleasures for our life and the things that we want. We begin from the inside when the Bible starts from this wonderful story and introduces us into this thing called creation. I've got a... a, a daughter on the way, and she'll be here in a few months, and I, I, I know I talk about it a lot, but I just can't stop talking about it. I'm so excited. Her name's going to be Molly, and I have a sneaking suspicion that when she's born, to some degree, she's going to look like me or my wife, Halsey, hopefully more like Halsey. Um, but we have this image that, that, that of kind of what we think she might look like, right? I've, I've gone online and done like the, like the, the image generator things, where, it, uh, where it, like, you, you merge the pictures together of the two of you, and it says this is what you're going to look like. And uh, some have been better than others. And so we've tried to, try to, try to tilt the picture we're adding in there to really get like the, the best case scenario. But it's crazy because even in human life and even in, in children, like children are eerily like their parents, right? Not even just the way they look, but the way that they um, act and their, their temperament. 
oftentimes how they approach things like education and the way that they're raised, we, we descend essentially from our parents. And that's a, that's a good thing, and that's a beautiful thing. And this is the exact same image that God gives us to understand who we are, that the God of the universe creates you and me in his image. How wonderful is that? How, how beyond good is that? What does that mean for your life? And I believe this is why it makes perfect sense logically of why Jesus calls us to follow him. This is why we do discipleship, because we believe Jesus was the image of the invisible God. Jesus Christ, the most famous human who ever lived, was both God and was both man, came to the world to save it, to die for our sins so we wouldn't have to die for our sins, comes to the earth, tells people to follow him and to be like him, ultimately because he is the image of God, and he's telling us to be like him, so therefore it makes sense that if we were created in God's image and Jesus is the image of God, this is why we always say, be like Jesus. How does he do life? How does he do things? Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. We were created in Genesis 1 to follow God, to be like him, to imitate him because he is good and holy and perfect and we were created for such. And ultimately in life you have two choices. You can either try to be like God or you can desire for your God to be like you. It's two choices. You can begin from the inside out when determining your, your morality, the way you handle sexuality, the way that you raise your children, the way that you perform at your job, the way that you do everything, the way that you treat people. You can begin with yourself or you can begin with a good and loving and holy God who created humanity and treat humanity in the loving manner by which God treats humanity. We as Christians believe that we begin with God and that we mold to him because he is wonderful and because we have issues, right? We, we need help. We need growth in this life. We don't expect our God to mold to us or our modern sensibilities. And so our lives should reflect the image of the holiness and the beauty and the wonder of God. And then number three is this, and this is the one that probably for me this week was, was the most revealing. I hadn't thought about this all that much. We see God enjoys his creation. Genesis one thirty one, And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Oh, to have been there when, when God created the world and then looked at it and said, this is awesome. This is beautiful. He's like, I... I I love the mountains, and I love the oceans. I love the, the human that's made in my image. I love the stars. They, I, I love the way they twinkle. I, I love all of this, and I love how it functions together, and he's just looking at it, and he's enjoying it, and he's marveling at his own creation and his, and his own goodness, not in an arrogant way, but he is good, and therefore he looks at what he's made, and it, and it is good. It just makes sense, right? And so he's looking at this wonderful thing, and he's enjoying this creation, and I love how he says it's very good after he creates humanity. Isn't that kind of crazy? Like, after everything he creates, he says it's good. He creates a mountain, sky, scars. But then he creates humanity. And then on the section when he creates humanity, it says it was very 
good, as in you and I were originally, before sin enters into the world, this is giving us a picture of what it looked like, right? It was very good. Humans were the icing on the cake. We were the, we were the cherry on top of creation. We were created to be so much more beautiful than the mountains. We were created to be so much more amazing than the rivers and the, the beautiful weather. We were, we were created to be more marvelous. I believe we were cherished more than the stars. We were created with so much expectation, so much beauty to have for God and for others. And what you're seeing here is, is before sin enters the world, a reality that the world was good, that the world was full of wonder. It gives us an image that life is supposed to be good, that God is redeeming the broken world today to be like this once again. Genesis begins with a good world, and Revelation at the very end, as we will see, ends with a perfect new creation that is amazing. And we find ourselves in the tension of being in the middle between Genesis and Revelation. And yet in this tension, we are enjoying life with God. He is remaking it. I believe this shows us that we serve a happy, creative, and wonderful God. And that we do serve a God that does become angry, but only at the sin and the disobedience which destroys the beauty that he created for himself and for us. This is proof that God enjoys you and all creation and that he's redeeming you, not because he's really mad at you, but because he wants to love you and he wants to be with you. And so you have to be holy and perfect as he is holy and perfect. And so the application here is that you are enjoyed by the amazing God of the universe. Therefore, you've got a good reason to feel happy and joyous in your life. And the final point is this, number four. I think this is where we begin to see the gospel. Number four, God loves his creation. I'm going to point out something that I don't know if you've maybe ever considered. In Genesis 2.18, we didn't read it earlier, um, but basically Genesis 1 gives a creation account, and then Genesis 2 comes back, gives kind of like, adds some, fills in some details here and there. And it's this image of how God created male and female. And it shows God in Genesis 2, verse 18. It says, And the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. And so it's basically talking about how originally God created man. And man was by himself. And that he looked at the man. And he said, It's not good for man to be alone. I shall make a helper for him. And you can look at this and you can say, okay, God, you know, makes the woman here historically to live in community with the man. And you can look over it. But once again, we're looking at this with wonder and amazement. We're trying to dig up the, 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 the spiritual truths that God has for us here. And, and what I think is the astounding point here is that you see God caring for his creation. This is the part that should blow your mind. This is the part that should be the most wonderful. That God looks down, and he just created this, this guy, right? Just created this guy in this creation, and he looks down, and immediately he's like, it's not good for him to be alone. We see God revealing his nature that he loves you. He loves creation. He loves what he's done. He cares for it. He wants its well-being. He looks at the man and says, I will create a helper for him because God cares for the man. God is looking out for the good of this first man, providing for the man and giving him a helper that can help him and that he can also help. And I think this is really, in a lot of ways, the beginning of the gospel in Scripture, which the gospel means good news. And the good news is that while we are broken people in a broken world, that God is perfect and holy. And that though we have sinned and though we don't deserve to, to live with God in eternity forever, 
that, that God still wanted us to be with him, so he sent Jesus down to die on the cross, to die the death we couldn't die, die, to be the perfect sacrifice for our sins, to raise again to new life, which we image in baptism, which we'll close our service with today. And, and when he raises to new life, he offers this to me and you simply by trusting and believing him. That's all you have to do. That we are not saved because we are good people. We are saved because God loves us and he offered us everything in Jesus Christ and that all God wants from you is his trust and that he works on your behalf that we have been so filthy so imperfect so sinful and yet God has made us so clean so fresh and so clean right so so brand new so so wonderful in Jesus Christ because God loves this thing that he has created Genesis 2.18 shows us that when humanity needs something, Father God provides, amen? When you need something, God loves to provide for you. He loves to help you. He loves to be with you. He loves to support you. He loves to be a part of your life. He looks down and says he needs a helper and provides for him. And this is the same God that sends Jesus Christ to the world to save us. He looked down to a sinful world and said, it is not good that this world remain broken. It is not good that these people remain separated from me. I will give them a helper. And his name is Jesus Christ. In John 1, it says, in the beginning was the word. It's talking about Jesus. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. That he was in the beginning with God, and that all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. It says that in a dark world, Jesus Christ was light from the very beginning. And 2,000 years ago, when Jesus came to the world, the darkness was emerging into the the world. And then it says in John 12, uh, verse 46, Jesus says, I've come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. Church, this morning, the, the main idea is that from the beginning of creation, we've been fully loved. And it's because of this that we obey and we serve God. It's, it's because of this that we follow Jesus and we become disciples of Jesus Christ. It's because he has given us this perfect blueprint for like the way that we are called to live our lives. God loves us. He, he loves his creation. He loves his people. And Jesus is the greatest love that you will ever find. And the gospel is his story to you this morning. God creates the world. God creates you and me in his image. God enjoys creation. God loves his creation. And if you can find a way in your life to live believing these truths, I believe that you and I can reclaim the wonder of life. I think sometimes life can be hard. It can be dealt with brokenness and pain. It can be full of monotony, you know, working jobs, raising families, paying bills, all the, all the monotony of life. And we, we get in this cycle of life. And then all of a sudden we feel like we feel dissatisfied because life is supposed to be wonderful. It's supposed to be wonder-filled. And what God did was God created a wonderful universe, and yet sin has broken that, and yet Jesus Christ is the Redeemer. God has redeemed the world and is renewing it, 
and he is making it brand new in Jesus Christ. As we begin this journey, as we look at the creation story, I want you to leave here knowing that you are loved and that as you walk out these doors today, that you should look at this world with wonder. Don't take the air in your lungs for granted. Don't take beautiful views for granted. Don't take the warmth of friendship and family for granted because God created a very good universe and he said it in his own words, it is very good and God is remaking that world in Jesus Christ. And he's invited you and me to be a part of that. I pray you take that journey with me. Would you bow your heads and let's pray at this time. Father, I thank you for the wonder of creation. I thank you, Lord, that everything that we conceive in this world is so much better than we could even imagine. I pray, Lord, that as we come forward now to begin taking communion, Lord, I pray that we would see this offering as a thing of wonder and amazement. God, I pray if any of us, if our hearts or our minds have been caged, I pray, God, that you would open up the cage and let us soar in your universe, God. If we have given over to darkness or to sin or tried to live a life apart from God, I pray that we would come back in this moment and that we would re-surrender our lives back to you and that we would trust you with the things that we're going through, that we would trust you with the life that you've given us. I pray over every person here today that they would look at this universe with the wonder that you created it with. I pray that every day would be special, that every day we would give you glory because of this world that you have created. I pray we would see sin for what it is, which is a brokenness that breaks a good and perfect creation. And I pray that we would willingly and lovingly and excitingly follow Jesus Christ on this journey to a new life, a new way to do things, away from the human flesh and engaged with the Holy Spirit of God. I thank you for this time together. I thank you for these moments to connect with you. We pray all these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.